Good morning, Valley Presbyterian. Is anybody happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Don't you agree with the psalmist who said that I will bless the Lord at all times? His praises shall continually be in my mouth. I know that we have come this morning, that we are watching this morning right where we are with that same spirit of praise. It is a delight always to be in the house of God. Thank you for welcoming me back. Uh, you even allowed me to insert a few Baptist hymns. I thank you. <laughs> and, you know, I just think it's so important that regardless of denomination, that we have opportunities to come together and worship together as one body in Christ. Amen. What is heaven going to look like? <laughs> Are the Baptists going to be over here and the Presbyterians over here and the Methodists over there? I don't think so. <laughs> but all together on one accord, we shall lift up the name of our God. And so it's important that on this side of glory, we do come together in worship of God. There is a word from the Lord. Amen. <laughs> and I invite your attention to verses 9 and 10, they will be our key verses for this sermonic moment. Uh, Psalm 34, verses 9 through 10, and the New Revised Standard Version read, O oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So with your prayers and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to preach on the topic, the good life, the good life. Would you join me in just a brief word of prayer? Gracious God, we seek your presence and your power right now, inviting you into this place to have your way. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and we pray that your word will fall on fertile ground and accomplish the work for which you are sending it. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, we pray. Amen. The good life. So what does the good life mean to you? Some people, for some people, the good life refers to a lifestyle of luxury and pleasure that the average person cannot attain. It is the lavish living of people featured on the popular television series, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Anybody remember that? I'm dating myself a little bit because I do remember it. <laughs> and it aired in the 80s and the 90s. And that show was billed as the unchallenged authority on wealth, prestige, and success. The show took viewers into the extravagant lives of people like publishing tycoon Robert Peterson, wine baroness Philippine de Rothschild, fashion designer Karl Lagerfeld, and basketball great Michael Jordan. If we were to ask the host, the late Robin Leach, what the good life is, he might say, well, you have to be rich and famous to truly know, but everyone else must settle for champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Others think of the good life not as wealth and leisure necessarily, but as wholesome living. In this view, whether or not you have monetary wealth, it is important to be a good person. So the good life is about kindness, fairness, and civic responsibility. 
It's caring for your family, for your neighbors, for the environment. It's living peaceably and helping others along the way. Living the good life looks like philanthropy. The philanthropy maybe of Bill and Melinda Gates and also the everyday acts of kindness by everyday ordinary people. But you know, there is yet another way to think about the good life that I believe surpasses both luxury and leisure, wholesome and philanthropic living. In Psalm 34, we learn that the key to the good life isn't wealth or fame or goodness by human standards, but rather uncompromised reverence for God that emanates out of a life of praise unto God. It's what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. David, the shepherd boy turned giant slayer, military leader, and future king of Israel knows something about reverence for God. He penned this psalm while on the run from King Saul, who was inflamed with jealousy because David's growing popularity threatened his kingship. David's reverence for God, his fear of the Lord above fear of man enabled him to slay Goliath and at King Saul's behest, thousands more in battle. David was so successful that Saul put him over his army. But when the women of Israel, after they would return from battles, began dancing and singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands, King Saul was angry and afraid that David would indeed surpass him. So Saul began plotting David's death. He tried to kill him in battle by setting a high bride price, 100 Philistine foreskins, to marry his daughter Michael. But David, favored by God, brought back 200 foreskins. Saul tried pinning David to the wall with a spear, but that didn't work either. David eluded him. Saul then sent men to David's house to seize him so that he might kill him on his own, but David's wife warned him of the threat and helped him to escape. So from that time on, David became a fugitive. He went to Ashish of Gath in Philistine territory and felt threatened there and had to feign madness in order to escape. And so he hides out in a stronghold where about 400 people who were in distress, in debt, or in some other way disconcerted or discontented with their lives, they joined him there, and David became their captain. This is likely the context. Living as a fugitive, his life constantly in danger, when David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Can you picture it? Unable to live out in the open, taking shelter in a stronghold, some sort of tower or fort, typically high up and difficult to access. And in that man-made refuge, his witness to the 400 suffering and distressed others was taste and see that the Lord is good, and happy are those who take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, 
for those who fear him have no want. What do you mean, David? We're hiding out in a cave, but you're saying we have no want and, and our hope should be in God and all we have to do is not fear the Lord. David says the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What is this fear of the Lord that holds David steady in the worst of times? The fear of the Lord is a holy, unadulterated reverence or high esteem for God that guides our daily living. And it is a quality that Saul lacked. He did, the scriptures tell us, part of what the Lord commanded, but not the whole. Rather than utterly destroying the Amalekites who opposed God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, Saul listened to the people and spared the king and the best of their cattle and valuables. And to us, that makes sense. Why wouldn't we make good use out of things that seem to have some value? Why wouldn't we show mercy where we can? But we get into a bit of trouble when we try to come up with our own interpretations of what God is telling us to do. Saul thought he was doing a good thing. But in choosing to do part and not all of what God commanded, he actually was in disobedience. And that disobedience took him out of favor with God. Listen to God's response after Saul's choice. The Lord tells the prophet Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. I have to stop right there a second. Because one thing I would never want God to say of me is that the Lord regrets choosing me for anything or blessing me with anything or positioning me anywhere. My goodness, when it is time to stand before the Lord, do you want to hear words of regret? No, we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into the joy of the Lord. But the Lord said, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And that was difficult for Saul to understand. He kept insisting to Samuel, no, I did what the Lord said. I, I went up in battle against the Amalekites. You know, we, we destroyed them, but I did spare the king. You know, we did take the best of the cattle and the valuables, and we have offered these things as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And Samuel responds with a saying that may be familiar to us, that obedience is better than sacrifice, right? And so for us too, this becomes a warning about not straddling the fence with God and just obeying when it's convenient and following people and other influences when God's ways seem too hard or costly. You know, it is the fear of the Lord that is the key to the good life. For when we fear the Lord, we have no want. We lack no good thing. Oh, certainly we have desires and we may experience lean times, but the word is teaching us that when our fear, our reverence, our high esteem and respect 
for God are primary, then God takes care of our needs. And in that, we find the good. We find those good things that make life worthwhile. So how can we tap into this good life that supersedes wealth and fame and even our best attempts at doing good? The psalmist says we must seek the Lord. It's in the presence of God, in worshiping and listening for the voice of God. It's in meditating on the word and praying for revelation and surrendering our lives to God that we find the good life that eludes even the wealthiest of individuals. Don't you know some people who seem to have everything and they are some of the saddest people that you would ever meet? The true good life is found in that kind of worshipful devotion to God in which our Lord becomes primary. When we choose God first, even before our own welfare or personal gain, we have found the fear of the Lord and the good life shall follow. The fear of the Lord looks like the Hebrew midwives disobeying the king's infanticide edict because they reverenced God more than they feared Pharaoh. And scriptures tells us that because they feared God, the Lord blessed them with families of their own. The good life that comes about from fearing the Lord, you know, it looks like the Hebrew boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who refused to dishonor God by eating from the king's table or worshiping idol gods, even though not doing so could cost them their lives. And because they feared God, the Lord saved Daniel from the lion's den and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the fiery furnace and elevated them in the land of their captivity. The fear of the Lord looks like Ruth, following her mother-in-law Naomi back to Bethlehem, despite herself being a foreigner from a despised people, because she reverenced God more than her former way of life, and the Lord did bless her with a kinsman redeemer. The fear of the Lord looks like the Shunammite woman telling her husband that all is well, even before the prophet Elisha heals their deceased son. She believed God to be more powerful than death, and her faith was rewarded. When we reach the end of our earthly lives, the end of this plane, which we know is not the end, but the beginning of the longest part, the eternal part of our lives. What will others say about us? Will they say that we were great business people, that we were gifted teachers, that we were devoted parents? Will they say that we were philanthropic, that we contributed to the development of communities less resourced than our own? Will they celebrate our achievements, degrees earned, milestones reached, awards received? Will they honor our financial acumen and our ability to accrue great wealth? When someone stands to offer an account of our lives, words of remembrance about what we've done and how we have lived, 
I hope they will be able to say some of those things and perhaps those things will suggest that we have lived good lives. But as Christians, we know that while family and career and even service can be good things, they do not in and of themselves make for a good life. Our goal as Christians isn't just to be good, Rather, we strive to live our lives in holy reverence to God who makes all things good. And when we take that position, we don't have to fear opposition, even if it threatens to remove us from our place, our post, even if it means that we must sacrifice something in the short term. We know that our God is an ever-present source of help, ready to rescue us from any and every danger. All we need do is trust and believe. All we need do is obey God and leave the consequences up to him. God bless you.